Good morning, church. How you doing? Good. Good to see you. If you are here on campus, if you are online, glad you're with us. In fact, if you're online, go ahead and hit the share button. And what will happen is that will share to everybody on your Facebook feed, and you instantly invited hundreds of people to church this morning. So go ahead and click the share button if you haven't done so. I want to ask you a question. I want to show you two pictures. I want to ask you, which one are you immediately drawn to? Which picture are you immediately drawn to? The one on the left is a scene from World War II. If you've watched the movie Saving Private Ryan, this is like the opening scene of that movie where these young soldiers are about to storm the beaches of Normandy to take on Nazi Germany and try to destroy the evil that was spreading across Europe. Young guys, 18, 19-year-olds, packing these boats, heading across the English Channel in the belief that they were about to storm the beaches and take out an enemy and potentially save thousands of lives and free tens upon thousands of people from poverty and starvation and control of the government there in Europe. You may be drawn to that image, to that feeling of war, to that, to that desire to combat evil head on. Others of you might be drawn to this picture on the right, and I'll give you a little context. This is from a different war in U.S. history. This is the, the Vietnam War. Raise your hand if you were alive in the Vietnam War. There you go. Don't be ashamed. All right. So uh, this picture is from the Vietnam era, and these guys in the sweaters are peace protesters, and they are fighting a different kind of battle. Instead of loading their guns with bullets, they loaded the guns with flowers in a symbolic message that said, we believe not fighting will actually save more lives than fighting. They were fighting what they considered to be an unjust war, and they wanted no part of it. Maybe you are drawn more to that message of trying to avoid conflict or violence at all costs. Maybe to seek a different alternative than war itself. Whichever picture or image uh, language you're drawn to probably says a lot about your natural wiring, kind of your natural tendency. Some of us might be wired up for war, ready to go, right? Ready to jump into battle and confront the enemy head on. And others might want to seek an alternative solution, to, to seek some sort of peace or diplomatic solution to the problem. Right, whichever picture you're drawn to probably says a lot about your natural tendencies in life. And so let me ask you this question this morning. Which are you drawn to more, war or peace? We've been in this series called And, and we've been looking at how the Christian life is a lot of times not this either or thing. It's this and, that we are to be a people of grace and truth, as Fitz shared last week, that we should gather together and we should go out and share the gospel. And I want to submit to you this morning that maybe the Christian life is one of war and peace, not an or. That maybe the Christian life is one of war and peace. And in fact, Ecclesiastes says it in this language. It says, there is a time for everything. And a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. It's a difficult, it's a difficult balancing act of trying to balance being people of war and of peace. Jesus even echoes this tension when he says, Jesus says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. 
I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And then a little bit later, he's like, well, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Well, which one is it, Jesus? Did you come to bring a sword or did you come to bring peace? And oftentimes we find the Christian life is a balancing act of both, of trying to war against something and yet bring peace in the process. And it's an and situation because if we camp out in either or, some devastating effects are possible. If all we do is camp out in the war zone, let's say we're, we are 10, we're, we're prone toward war, or we as believers can become war hawks looking for every opportunity to wage war against every little issue that possibly pops up. And what we do in the in result is leave a wake of casualties. And this, this war mentality is as benign as teaching children to sing the song, I'm a soldier in the Lord's army. Raise your hand if you grew up singing, I'm a soldier in the Lord's army. All right, it's a simple song. It's, it's not like this massive message where you're trying to indoctrinate. It's just this idea that, yeah, we are engaged in a battle. But what if that's all we taught? That we're just soldiers in the Lord's army. It's simple, but conveys a message. If all we do is camp out in the war zone, we get things like the Crusades thousands of years ago where Christians left Europe to go into the Holy Land and to fight a war against the other religious group that was taking over that geographic area. And as a result, thousands upon thousands of people lost their lives because the Christians were motivated more by a political gain than a religious pursuit. If we bring it to modern day, if all we do is camp out in the war zone, we end up with groups like the Westboro Baptist Church that you've seen in the news over the years who picket soldiers' funerals and hold up signs outside and protest, not in a peaceful manner, but in a way to try to create conflict. If all we do is focus on war as believers, we'll destroy people and leave a wake of casualties in the process. Uh, Yet, if all we do is focus on peace and avoidance of any conflict or any potential for violence, I don't know that we do a whole lot better in that area either. If all we do is bite our tongues and never say anything, we probably just become a bunch of pacifists that allow evil to spread under our watch. It's as simple as biting your tongue when you know your child is sinning, but you're like, well, I don't want to run them off. Or the, the parent who enables their child's drug addiction because they're afraid that they'll lose them all the while they're losing them. Right, it's as simple as just avoiding any conflict. Uh, it seeps into the church right now in, in the form of like acceptance theology, where the church doesn't want to offend anybody by saying certain things or preaching certain topics because we're afraid that we will offend people. And yet, I don't know that we help people in that process either if we just simply always try to avoid conflict and never offend, possibly offend anyone. Do you see where it's it's difficult? How do you find the balance? How can we be a people of war and peace to find the times when those are appropriate and which one we should pursue? And so, let me ask you this question this morning. How can we be a people of war and peace? How can we as Christians be a people of war and peace? And I want to illustrate that by showing you a movie clip. Uh, There's a movie that came out a few years ago. It follows the true story of a guy named Desmond, and he was fighting in World War II. And some of you are like, this is way too much history this morning. 
right? I'm sorry, I was a history teacher before I became a minister. So you're just going to have to roll with it, okay? So World War II, it's following this story named Desmond. It's based on a true story. And Desmond is what they called a conscientious objector. He, he would not carry a weapon and he would not kill. But yet he enlisted in the army because he had a desire to fight the enemy but to do it in a different way. And, I, and there's a scene in the movie where he's on trial. They're basically going to court-martial him and, and give him a dishonorable discharge because he won't carry a weapon. And he, he articulates his mindset, and, I, and it really does a good job trying to explain what I'm saying. So watch this movie clip with me. Why are you contesting it then? Why is it so important to you, giving your refusal to even touch a weapon, to serve in a combat unit? Because when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, I took it personal. Everyone I knew was on fire to join up, including me. There were two men in my hometown. Declared 4F unfit. They killed themselves because they couldn't serve. I had a job in a defense plan. I could have taken a deferment, but that ain't right. It isn't right that other men should fight and die that I would just be sitting at home safe. I need to serve. I got the energy and the passion to serve as a medic. Right in the middle with the other guys. No less danger, just... While everybody else is taking life, I'm going to be saving it. With the world so set on tearing itself apart, it doesn't seem like such a bad thing to me to want to put a little bit of it back together. It's a great scene. He's, he's articulating what I'm saying this morning. How do we go headlong into battle? How do we confront the enemy but not destroy people in the process? So how do we go headlong into battle and be agents of peace in the process? How do we go headlong into battle, not being afraid to confront the evil that exists, but to do so in a way that brings peace in the process? And it's not going to be easy, and that's what the rest of this message is going to be about. And before we launch into the rest, let me preface that this message's content is not meant to discuss the justifications of war or the justification of a soldier killing in the name of their country. We're not getting into that topic. If you want to know more about the justifications of war at a national or political level, reach out and we can supply you with resources. The context for this morning is, how do we as believers in our daily lives balance the tension of war and peace. Here's three thoughts. If you're taking notes, this might be three things you want to write down. Three thoughts for how we go headlong into battle and bring peace in the process. Number one, I think we've got to know the enemy. We have to know who the enemy is. Two, I think we have to choose our weapons wisely. And three, follow the leader. If we're going to live in, a, in, a, in the tension of war and peace, we've got to know who our enemy is. We have to choose our weapons wisely, and we have to follow the leader. And in any war, in any battle, you always have an adversary, an enemy, someone you are fighting, and it's important to know who that is, and what you're fighting, and why you're fighting that war. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians. For our struggle, he's talking to you and I here, is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, 
against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Uh, Paul unpacks for the church at Ephesus who is the enemy and who is not the enemy. Those are important distinctions. And so if I'm going to summarize what he said there, he's basically saying the evil, the enemy is the evil one and his schemes, not other people. I really like schemes, right? There's a, there's a sinisterness to that, right? Our enemy is the devil and the, and the evil that he sows, not other people. Let me give you some examples of what that looks like in our daily lives, We don't fight against flesh and blood, but against the forces of evil. And for you and I in our daily lives, here's here's maybe what that means. We don't fight the homosexual or transgender community. We combat the lie that says you can't rise above or overcome a desire. We combat the lie that somehow sexuality is your only identity in life. Right? We work hard to create families that are loving and nurturing and supportive so that children can grow up and achieve. We don't fight Democrats or Republicans. We combat the lie that somehow you have to be defined by a political ideology. And we combat the lie that somehow division is the only way to get something done. We don't fight the homeless. We work to fix the broken system that generates systemic poverty. We don't fight the addict. We combat the conditions that led to his situation. We don't fight those who've had abortions. We destroy the lie that says that's your only option and that you're no longer lovable. We don't fight the vaccinated or the unvaccinated, the masked or the unmasked. We combat the thought that somehow those things have an eternal significance and make us more or less spiritual. We don't fight the president, whoever is in office, whatever party. We combat the lie that somehow that person has more authority over our lives than Jesus Christ himself. You see, it's important we know who the enemy is and who the enemy is not. The enemy is not other people. The war that we fight is against the evil that persists through the schemes and the lies that the devil orchestrates. So let me ask you, are you fighting people or the evil one? Are you fighting people or the evil one? Take inventory of the things that you post on your social media accounts. Take inventory on the conversations you have with others, your thought life. Are you fighting people or are you combating lies and darkness and the evil schemes of the devil? Because here's an important truth. If you're fighting other people, you're fighting the wrong war. If you and I are fighting other people, we're fighting the wrong war. A fighting does not create more harmony or peace. In fact, it creates more division and more hatred, more controversy and more conflict. Fighting doesn't bring peace. And Jesus tells his disciples this in Matthew chapter five. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Doesn't say peacekeepers. Blessed are the people who make peace for they will be called children of God. Right, if we're fighting other people, we're probably fighting the wrong 
war. We're, we're called to fight the lies and schemes of the evil one because that will set people free. Listen, if you fight a person, if you destroy a person, you create a martyr. You destroy an idea and you set people free. So we're not called to fight other people. We're called to fight evil. Here's how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians. We demolish, I like that, that war language. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We gotta know who we're fighting, what we're fighting, and why we're fighting that war. Otherwise, we just create a mess. When I was researching for this, I came across a quote that I really like. It's more history for you, okay? Uh, Back in the Korean War in the 1950s, we almost invaded China. I don't know if you knew that or not. We're fighting North Korea, but we're really fighting China. And we almost invaded. And General Omar Bradley was asked what he thought about invading China. And here's what he said. That strategy would involve us in the wrong war, at the wrong place, at the wrong time, and with the wrong enemy. It's a lot of wisdom in that. You think we ever find ourselves in the wrong war, at the wrong place, at the wrong time, and with the wrong enemy? If our fight doesn't bring peace, we're fighting the wrong war. If our fight doesn't bring peace, we're fighting the wrong war. We're fighting the wrong war at the wrong time in the wrong place with the wrong people. If our fight doesn't bring peace. So, in order to go headlong into battle and to try to be a people of war and peace, we have to know who the enemy is. That's important. That's foundational. And the second part is, well, how do we do it? How do you fight a war that brings peace? And the answer is, we have to know what weapons we're fighting with. How we choose to fight that war is important. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I don't often read from the KJV translation, but I like the way it translates this. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. There's a word, carnal. It implies fleshly, a barbaric, uh, animalistic. It comes from a place of the gut, not a place of the heart or of the mind. It was, it's instinctual. And Paul's saying, that's not how we fight. We don't fight with carnal weapons because carnal weapons will destroy people. No, the weapons we fight with will actually build up because they'll bring peace. Let's look at a list. Let's juxtapose. Carnal weapons with divine spiritual weapons. Look over here at the left. Carnal weapons, slander. Well, we don't have a problem with that these days, do we? Not much slanderous speak going on today, right? Gossip, stealing, killing, name-calling, backstabbing, humiliation, lying, cheating, blasphemy. Name a positive outcome that comes from any of those. They're carnal, they're instinctual, they're fleshly, and they destroy in the process. That's what Paul's saying. We don't fight with these things because that will not bring peace. Tell me a time you ever called someone a name and there was peace that came as a result of that. It doesn't happen. When everyone's shouting back and forth at each other, there's not a whole lot of peace to be found in that contest. And Paul says, no, 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 see, the weapons we fight with, they're different. They're spiritual, and they have divine power, he says, power from above. The weapons we fight with are love. 
And you might think, how's love a weapon? You ever watched a, a hug disarm someone? Love can tear down walls. Love can soften hearts. Love is a powerful, divine weapon that can demolish strongholds in people's lives. Joy. But if we are people that live with joy in the midst of crazy circumstances, that can be a weapon to generate a conversation so that you can explain the hope of Christ that you have. And peace and patience. Maybe we need a little bit of that these days. Right? Peace, patience as a weapon. To take a moment and pause before we respond, before we post, before we think something. We just have a little bit of patience combined with some self-control. Kindness, you know that's a weapon, right? You got the old phrase, kill them with kindness, right? We've been taught that since we were kids. Uh, Other weapons, you got faithfulness and gentleness, self-control, truth, grace, mercy, compassion, and hope. These are spiritual, divine weapons that will demolish strongholds, not people. And, and you might look at this list and you think, well, those are kind of pansy. Right, those seem like weak weapons. Jesus used these weapons. Yeah, he called Pharisees broods of vipers and whitewashed tombs and hypocrites and fools and he flipped tables in the temple. But all that was a war waged to bring peace into people's lives, to stomp out the belief that somehow religious people had some sort of authority over the rest of the people and the fact that they were selling stuff in the temple courts that kept people from pursuing God. He was fighting a war that was meant to bring peace and he demolished some strongholds in the process. These were the weapons that he chose to fight with. And so should we. So let me ask you, what weapons do you fight with? When you think about your life, your daily life, and your interaction with your family members, the people you disagree with, the person on Facebook that has some other political view from you, and the people that you work with, which weapons are you using? If you're pulling from this stockpile, you're going to destroy people. We pull from this stockpile, we're likely to bring some peace in the midst of conflict. So we've got to know who the enemy is. We've got to know who and what we're fighting. We have to choose our weapons wisely because we will naturally gravitate toward carnal weapons. We'll naturally gravitate to fighting other people and destroying them versus using divine weapons to, to demolish the strongholds in their lives. And I don't know about you, but when I was preparing for this, I just kind of came to a moment where I needed to confess that sometimes I will fight in a worldly way. Anybody else find themselves in that situation more often than they wish. And so I'd like for us to kind of just corporately take a time and just pray a prayer of confession for the times that we've waged war in a way that we shouldn't have. So just close your eyes where you are. If you're online, just pray with us. We're just gonna pray for a moment. Father, we confess our tendency to fight people. We can see them. We can see people. It's hard to see a lie. It's hard to see the schemes of the evil one. And so we'll just fight what we can see. And since Cain killed his brother Abel, we've been fighting each other ever since. We've been fighting the wrong war in the wrong place at the wrong time and with the wrong enemy. And so we ask for your forgiveness for the times that we fight in a worldly manner. And Lord, I pray for anyone in this room or listening online who has been hurt 
by a believer who has fought the wrong war. I pray that hope and reconciliation come into their lives and that they don't judge you based on our flawed actions. And so I pray that those people who have been hurt by believers who have waged an inappropriate war, that they would see your goodness and grace despite what we say or do. And Father, I also pray right now that you fill us with your spirit. We want to fight the good fight. We want to run with perseverance the race that you have marked out for us. And so help us to choose the weapons that will build up and not destroy. That will bring, bring peace and not more division. Help us to fight in a way that honors you and brings peace. And it's in your name that we pray, amen. And we have to confess that. We gotta know who our enemy is. We have to choose our weapons wisely. And the third part that I really wanna hone in on here is that we have to follow the leader in any battle, in any war, There's a leader, someone who's in charge, someone who is leading the offensive. And for us, that's Jesus. Jesus leads the charge. He has said, come follow me. So we follow where he leads. Jesus fought the good fight. He knew the enemy. He knew him well. And he chose weapons that would build people up and bring peace rather than demolish or destroy people. And he didn't fight other people. He fought darkness. You see, Jesus, he defeated the law of sin and death, not through the destruction of others, but through the sacrifice of himself. This law of sin and death is this, this law, this rule that says, because we sin, we die. And Jesus says, I'm, gonna, I'm going to war against that. Jesus waged the greatest war in history against the the greatest enemy. And he won, not through destroying people, but through sacrificing himself. Right? He demolished the guilt of sin by paying the penalty of death that we deserved. He demolished the shame in our lives from sin by casting our sin as far as the east is from the west. He's demolished the power that sin has over your life. He's demolished the lie that you aren't worthy of his love by giving you love anyways. He demolished death itself by walking out of the grave. His war brought peace. Here's what Hebrews says, Hebrews 12 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Maybe, maybe our greatest weapon in the fight to bring peace is sacrifice. Maybe our greatest weapon in the fight to bring peace is sacrifice. To lay down our pride and consider others better than ourselves. To lay down our desire to be right and to seek first his kingdom, to lay down our need for revenge and let God have that, to lay down our lives so that others can experience the peace of Christ. Maybe our greatest weapon is sacrifice. As we bring our message to a a conclusion this morning, I invite you to stand with me. Stand up and stretch. I'm going to read a passage to you. I've read it in bits and pieces throughout the morning. 
but I want to read it back in its full context. And I just want you to mentally picture what is going on in this passage. Paul is writing to a church, to a group of believers, and he's telling them to put on the armor of God. And just visualize yourself putting on the armor as I read through this passage together. It's in Ephesians here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, you, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Our fight is to bring peace. We have to know our enemy. We got to choose our weapons wisely. We have to follow the leader. I want to circle back with you to our friend Desmond from the movie that we, the scene that we watched earlier. Desmond got his chance to go to battle. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert, okay, sorry. He gets to go to battle. He gets to confront the enemy head on. Now, there's a surprise attack by the Japanese, and as men are under fire, they're pinned down, and he has to serve as a medic, and all through the night, he's, he's helping people, he's serving people, he's dragging them off the front lines, and he comes to this moment in the movie where he's ready to collapse because of exhaustion, And he cries out to God. He says, I don't know what you want from me. And in the distance, he hears the scream of a comrade saying, help me. And he just, he just says this, this line. He says, just give me one more, Lord. Just one more. He runs into battle and he grabs that guy. And he just keeps echoing that, that statement over and over. Just one more, Lord. Just one more. When the, when the smoke clears and the, and the morning comes, those one mores added up to 75 people that he rescued and saved, including some of the Japanese soldiers that were injured. Just one more. So I want to leave you with this thought this morning. May the fight we fight bring just one more to the Lord. Amen? Let's pray together this morning. God, thank you for fighting the war that we couldn't fight. The war against death itself, against the law of sin and death. And and Jesus, you took that, that war and you went head on. You confronted the enemy and you destroyed him. Not by destroying other people, but by combating the lies and, and defeating his schemes. So God, help us to do the same. Help us not to fight other people but to engage in the battle with you against the devil and his evil schemes.
so that people can be set free. And so that, that people can experience the peace that comes in a relationship with you and in a relationship with other people. So God, help us to fight the right war in the right place at the right time against the right enemy so that our fight will bring peace and just one more to you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.